Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock Beer Sample Friday. Let's have some fun. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nige is off. Guy Relford is in. And Guy, yesterday we were watching closely what was going on at the border. You had the current president. You had the former president. Two different places down at the border. But they both went down there. And it's crazy because the border has taken control of this election season. Usually, it's the economy. And especially at a time when inflation is through the roof, all of this talk about the border has become the number one thing people want to see in a candidate. And I really think it should be that way. I mean, what bigger issue jeopardizing America on so many different levels, crime, uh, economics, uh, what bigger issue do we have right now? Inflation, absolutely. And if somebody wants to put that on par uh, with the border and immigration, I wouldn't argue with them. But my goodness, it's right up there at the top. And, 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 you know, the fact that it's crystallizing like this with both candidates being down there on the same day, it was just notable to me how dramatically different the locations were that they went to. Right, because because Biden obviously intentionally chose a place that gets very very few illegals, comparatively speaking. They still get some, obviously, but compared to where uh, President Trump went, uh, it was dramatically different. And you can see the agenda behind that. And as big of an issue as the border is, and I agree, it's become the top issue, which is odd because normally it's always money, 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 yeah. the economy, the economy the economy, there are some other things going on. So while places like New York, you know, they have mayors giving away basically these free debit cards, these prepaid debit cards to illegals, here in Indiana, we're not even taking care of our own. We're not taking care of our veterans. And you sent me a story today, Guy, that's kind of got you fired up. Well, I I did. And, And But to your original point, um, you know, we've got all this money for people that are in this country illegally, and we don't have any money for people who fought for this country, defended you know our freedoms, put themselves in harm's way, and uh, for somehow it's, we're okay with them being on the street and being homeless. And, uh, and, and, and and that's why we're losing so many. I mean, some estimates, 22 a, uh, a day to suicide of our American veterans. But the story I sent you, Jason... You're exactly right. It's something that's got me way fired up, and and it has been for a while, which is that the the Biden administration is continuing a policy really started by the Obama administration, which is they're sending notices to the VA saying that if a veteran gets a diagnosis of PTSD and on that basis gets a disability rating, then that means they've been, quote-unquote, adjudicated to be mentally ill, which is the wording out of the Brady Bill on gun control, that says 
that they're disqualified from legally being able to possess a firearm. So no court says they've been a danger to themselves or others. Um, They're they're not adjudicated to be in any way someone that we actually should be concerned about. But on a simple diagnosis of PTSD and a disability rating on that basis, they can be deprived of their constitutional rights when they've been serving time in a foreign land, putting themselves in harm's way to defend our constitutional rights. This is so abhorrent to me. This is so disgusting to me that I've been talking about it for a while, but um, again, on on my show, and, I, and we posted an article, producer Carl, um, uh, who worked with me for a long time, posted that, that article on WIBC.com yesterday. Is this something that if a state wanted to take matters in their own hands, they could? I know you mentioned this is something that started with Obama. It's continuing under Joe Biden. But is this something that if a state, uh, the Indiana General Assembly, for example, wanted to address, they could take precedence on? Well, unfortunately not, because if you're if you're a prohibited possessor, quote unquote, under federal law, and we're talking about the application of the, the federal Brady Bill, uh, goes all the way back to 1968, and it's been amended multiple times to include this provision included. Um, so we're talking about federal law. And so really what we're talking about here is reaching out to the, the Indiana delegation in Congress you know, our, our two senators. Um, and, uh, and and now we've got congressional races going on. And you know what? We ought to be asking these people directly. I guarantee you I will, in the context of my show, asking these candidates, how do you stand on this issue? Because we've seen some legislation introduced. Uh, Ted Cruz actually introduced a bill some time ago to prevent this back under the Obama administration, but they haven't gone anywhere. And we need to fix this because it is a travesty. And it is very tricky, right? I can understand where the debate would come from because there are some veterans that are in a bad place with PTSD and you certainly don't want them to have a firearm if they feel like they're going to harm themselves or harm others. But there are some other veterans that have seen some horrific things and they might have PTSD about that, but they're perfectly fine. They're not going to harm anybody. They don't want to harm themselves or others. It's really tough to try to figure out what side of the line each veteran is on. Well, you nailed it. And what the determination needs to be is on an individual case-by-case basis, or whether this person is really a danger to themselves or others, not just based on the simple fact of a diagnosis. For instance, I've litigated this issue. I've litigated this issue in the context of red flag cases here in Indiana, where someone, in, my, in this case, a police officer, had a PTSD diagnosis, and based on that, his own department red flagged him, quote unquote, to take his firearms away to say, well, if you're disabled because of PTSD, you must not be able to possess firearms. We litigated that issue. We had a full-blown hearing. I brought professionals in, multiple healthcare professionals who said, listen, PTSD manifests itself in a whole lot of different ways. This goes back to what you were just saying. And you can have a diagnosis of PTSD and and that simply causes you anxiety and makes you be hypervigilant or hyperaware or or causes you insomnia that doesn't allow you to sleep without at any point ever being a danger to yourself or others. Others, it may manifest itself in a way that, yes, they could be a danger to themselves. That's why we see so many suicides. So I'm not saying we should ignore the diagnosis. I'm saying there ought to be an additional process, including due process, required by the 5th and 14th amendments that allows somebody to come in and litigate the issue, including presenting their own evidence to say, yes, I got this diagnosis, but I'm not a danger to myself or others, and and, and prove that and have somebody you know, establish that, in fact, on an individual basis, 
This is someone who should be denied their Second Amendment rights. Guy Relford filling in for Big Nige. Let's shift gears and play a spirited round of Is It Racist? It's time to play Is It Racist? Now, Guy, I'm not sure if you know what the rules of engagement are, (laughs) but here to explain how we played this game is AOC. Is it racist? Is something racist? Yes or no? All right. Mika Brzezinski, the love interest of Morning Joe. The home wrecker of Joe Scarborough, Morning Joe. They're on MSNBC together. She had a panel of like these middle-aged, woke white guys that were on to discuss how middle-aged white guys and white rural voters in general are racist and the worst people imaginable and a threat to democracy. Why are white rural voters a threat to democracy at this point? You would think, as we pointed out, looking at Joe Biden's background and Donald Trump's, that that the opposite would be true. I mean, we lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. First of all, and we show 30 polls and national studies to demonstrate this. We provide the receipts in Chapter 6. They're the most racist, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, and anti-gay geodemographic group in the country. Second, they're the most conspiracist group. QAnon support and subscribers, election denialism, COVID denialism, and scientific skepticism, Obama birtherism. Third, anti-democratic sentiments. They don't believe in an independent press, free speech. They're most likely to say the president should be able to act <laughs> unilaterally without any checks from Congress or the courts or the bureaucracy. They're also the most strongly white nationalist and white Christian nationalist. And fourth, they are most likely to excuse or justify violence as an acceptable alternative to peaceful public dis. White guys claiming white guys are racist. Is it racist, Guy Relford? <laughs> yeah, they're they're labeling an entire population, an entire segment of society, an incredibly large segment of society, um, as as racist just on the basis of who they are, which is what I am, right? We're middle aged right. white guy. In fact, I'm probably past middle aged a little bit, <laughs> but but I mean, it, it, yes, it's absolutely racist for them to turn this around. And you know, when when I heard the largest percentage of of, of Christian nationalists, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about this today because Gary Varvel, who we love and adore, uh, cartoonist, political cartoonist par excellence, just pu- published a, 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 a cartoon. He said, the original Christian nationalists, and it showed the founders standing around the table as they're drafting the Declaration of Independence. And they all said, so we all agree that our rights are endowed by our creator and not by the government? Question <laughs> mark. Right. With wording right out of the, of the Declaration of Independence. And would this panel look at, at that? Our founders to say, right. oh, these guys are middle-aged uh, racist? Yeah, I guarantee you they would. And my favorite part is COVID conspiracy oh, yeah, theorists. Yeah, right. So, people who were right, that's what you're talking about. Exactly. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to The Hammer and Nigel Show. The traffic beast, Matt Bear, joining us in studio. We'll talk about the podcast here in just a second, but we were talking off the air about this amazing scene that took place at the bridge that connects Kentucky to Indiana, right there by Louisville. 
this was wild. There was a semi that had crashed and almost crashed into the river. And the cab was just dangling there. And this rescue squad, they went down something out of a movie and they pulled the person out of the cab and brought them to safety. This is the most amazing thing. I mean, the rescue workers who saved this woman's life, the driver, are just amazing people. What I'm looking at right now, and I just put this out at Matt in traffic, it's right there on 31, right before you cross the Ohio River or right before you go from Indiana to Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, yeah, I've driven yeah. over that bridge a hundred yeah, times. times. Yeah, a hundred times, yeah, yeah, and what you see right now is the cab's facing directly down, and almost at a right angle is the semi-trailer up on the bridge, so it's dangling. It is actually dangling off the bridge, and as I understand, it was a four-vehicle crash um, to, uh, unfortunately, have life-threatening injuries right now, but but the driver was rescued, and that's that's just amazing. I mean, I, I love people that respond to these crashes and help out. It, it's an amazing job. And, Guy, we were talking about this before Matt came in the studio. Like, the team that did this, I wonder if they were just – chomping at the bit to just go to the scene because they've been trained for this obviously (laughs) and very rarely do they get the opportunity to look like you know tom cruise in some sort of movie (laughs) hanging there rescuing somebody you know dangling almost falling into the water Yes, yeah, I'd love to talk to those guys because you, you don't quite know what response you'd get. I mean, assuming you know they, they're answering uh, tr- forthrightly, they may say, "Oh yeah, absolutely, we've been training for this forever. This is a great opportunity." They may be saying, "Oh man, I thought, oh hell, I have to actually go do this now. I have to go hang by a rope I mean, off the side of a bridge. Who knows how many hundreds of feet above freezing water? Freezing water. <laughs> in order to, like, I mean, if you fall into that water, there's a good chance you may die because of the." The impact. Absolutely. But the cold water. Like, if you've ever jumped into cold water, it feels like a million needles just going into your body. But you know, my guess is that the first responders that I've I've known over the years, they were loving this. They they, they love the opportunity to apply their training and do what they were trained to do. The person that's responding here to the cab that's actually being uh, dangled down, it's the craziest thing. And again, we have this tweeted out, but they're being suspended by crane. Okay, right. and they're being dangled. It looks like like maybe, a bungee uh, almost. Yeah, it's almost a bungee, and they are being lowered maybe a um, hundred feet away from the cab, and they are just dangling them down. Now this is all done. I mean, they were able to rescue the woman, rescue the driver, but even the crews are saying we do not know how this truck didn't go over. And then the woman who was rescued in this truck, she's got to hang on, right? So not <laughs> only does the safety member have to get into the cab and get this person who's injured from what we understand they had to make sure she was secure to get her to the bridge where others could pull her over the top it's wild it is amazing think about the mindsets if you were that driver or even the rescuer you know i mean you're really professional being the rescuer and if you're the driver you just you're praying you just want to make sure you know you get out of that situation and god bless them all it's amazing that anybody i'm glad some people came out of this alive of course you know but you know when you think about it it's not really that different than Matt Bear repelling off the roof of a very high building right here That's in it. Indianapolis. <laughs> Which because you've done multiple for, times for, for charity. For a fundraiser, this guy has repelled off the 
and you know, rappelling off the top of a uh, of a very high building is not that different different than rappelling off a off a bridge. I got to tell you. Right. What happened down there at the border today between Kentucky and Indiana is nothing Matt Bear wouldn't have done. That's what we've established here today. He's almost pretty much <laughs> done it. Hook. That's right. Uh, Matt Bear, the traffic beast, with us. He's also one of the hosts of the. Supporting Sobriety podcast, along with Ryan Hedrick from our news department at sobriety underscore pod. And I feel like every week we have to make this clear because the podcast you're doing, it's not necessarily designed for those who are currently struggling. It's designed for the loved ones who are dealing with those who are struggling. Do I have this correct? Absolutely. It's spot on, man. That's It's the people behind the people. That's what we say. The people behind uh, people like Ryan and I, the addicts and the alcoholics. I mean, uh, and again, and the things, the trauma. You know, and not necessarily that we put ourselves through, but all the people that love us. You know, you know, when we're in addiction, we hate the people that love us most because they're the ones that are trying to get us to quit. And we don't love anything except our addiction. So we want to be able to give back a little bit and help people have signs and ideas, actual action steps to be able to assist their addict or alcoholic that they do love so much. That is still in there, by the way. And what I love about this podcast is you and Ryan both. You wear your hearts on your sleeves. You're incredibly vulnerable. If you listen to it, there are times where I can tell you're uncomfortable, but you're talking about the story anyway. Like maybe you're embarrassed, perhaps you're uncomfortable. I want to play a clip for you. Okay, okay, sure. This is a clip from, I believe this is the seventh episode of your podcast, Supporting Sobriety, where you're talking about driving when you're high. So I was driving the first time that I smoked weed and the car was full of people. I, I was 17 and as I continued to swerve onto the shoulder of whatever Indiana County road we were on, my passengers were just yelling the entire time, pull over, please. Well, I then went to college and learned to smoke a bong, meaning, yeah, I had to learn it because the first time I accidentally poured the entire chamber of bong water into my mouth and drank it. It was absolutely disgusting. Neither of those derailed me for my quote-unquote experimental phase of drug use, which combined with my binge drinking led to dozens of nights of having to be helped into bed because my head was spinning and I was vomiting on, vomiting on other people. So, not to make light of this, because I can tell this is tough for you, you and Bill Clinton got a lot in common. You didn't inhale the first time. <laughs> it's, you it's, drank the bong water. Right. It was, uh, it, man, that hits differently when you hear it on the radio. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, um, and there, there was some levity in that, but again, you know, it's, it's the driving under the influence thing that really bothers me about that deal. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that says that if you are high on weed, then yeah, you're, you're still very much under the influence. And that goes against a lot of the people in the culture that say that they drive better when they're high on weed and that's that's their prerogative that's an whatever. enabling thing to say well yeah and, and, and for me i just I've, I've never believed that but that's just me i, I speak for myself only um that was an episode ryan and i both tell stories about when we were teenagers because we wanted to get into um three ways that your teen might be using drugs and we just kind of recalled from our experiences we had on this angel this this woman who happened to recently i think it was about seven months ago lose her son to fentanyl and this kid, guys, a guy, Hammer, I mean, it was, this kid was, he was an athlete. He was on the football team. You know, he had everything going for him. He, he was just like a world-class kid. And all of a sudden, he finds new friends. And all of a sudden, he quits football. And all of a sudden, he starts saying things like, I don't feel like I fit in. And that's the thing that we kind of hone in on. That's what we're talking those about. Signals yeah, those signals that you're looking for. those signals. And... 
you know, I, I I never tell people how to raise their kids because I don't have any. I don't know anything about it. I never would anyways. But there's some parents are saying, yeah, my teen has an experimental phase and I'm cool with that. And God bless you. And I say that without any regret or any kind of resentment whatsoever. God bless you. But sometimes those signs do indicate that you may have some addiction going on here, alcoholic. And that's all we're trying to do here. And be careful in that experimental phase because, you know, there's a story about Eric Bowling, who used to be the uh, host on Fox News. I believe he's on Newsmax now. His son, like you said, Matt, his son was college baseball player, good looking kid, big athlete, wasn't a huge partier, smoked a little bit of weed, but it was laced with fentanyl mm. and killed him. Well, and that's such an important point to me because uh, I've, I've met parents that, that have lost children and, and, and they were shocked at the time. I mean, obviously you're going to be shocked anytime you lose a child, but this was a situation where somebody really wasn't involved that heavily in the drug culture, just doing a little bit of an exper- uh, experimentation. And that's what's so scary about a drug like fentanyl. Right. Is yeah. you, you, you cannot even know that you're ingesting fentanyl, be, be participating in some other drug activity, and it's, it's laced, and it'll flat kill you. So, Matt, the podcast is called Supporting Sobriety, and you can find it wherever yeah. you get your podcast. Absolutely. At sobriety underscore pod. Now, we got about 30 seconds left here. All week long, we've been trying to figure out a T-shirt for you for the Hammer and Nigel merch store. Like, Guy and I are working on ideas for Gun Guy shirts. Listeners have chimed in. One listener, and again, I think these shirts are going to appeal to the females that listen to this program. There's a young lady that says that she wants a shirt that says... I got rear-ended by Matt Bear. <laughs> wow! Oh, see, oh, we're talking about traffic. What's wrong with you people? That's the leader in the clubhouse, right there, no doubt. It's oh. a traffic joke. It's a Matt Bear joke. I feel like that's kind of perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> Matt Bear parks it in the garage. Matt Bear rear. I mean, th- there's a bunch of them out there, Matt. I was so worried about saying mine too, and that was yeah, mine was I sixty nine every day. Stop know. it! Ah. Stop it! Man, we've lost complete control of this show. Thank God the dump button doesn't work anymore. Matt Bear, you're the best. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Rolling with you on a Friday, beer sample Friday on the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relford is in for Big Nige. Tommy Piggott, he is the Strategic Communications Director for the RNC. You can see some of his work on the popular Twitter handle, at RNC Research. He joins us. Tommy, yesterday you had... A tale of two trips to the border. You had Joe Biden going to Brownsville. You had former President Trump going to Eagle Pass. What say you? Well, I think two things. First, it's clear based off of where President Trump and where President Biden went, who actually prioritizes securing the border because President Trump went to where the border crisis was actually happening. Biden only spent 19 minutes at the border during that entire trip, the actual border, and then went to a completely sanitized staged photo op where he spent time reading questions off of prepared note cards. You're right. That's a thing. Yes. Like, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, and then I think the second thing that it shows is that President Trump actually has solutions to secure the border. and President Biden doesn't because Biden said absolutely nothing of any substance except for to try to blame everyone else and then try to rewrite history for his terrible policies. So it was a complete disaster of a trip. All right. I want to go back to the note cards because this is fascinating to me. And this isn't some right wing conspiracy like the pictures and the video exist. This is a guy that not only has to have note cards to call on pre-approved reporters at pressers, it's gone up a notch now. He has to have the questions for Border Patrol members written out on a card. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I mean, it, people can go to add RNC Research and see the mashup there of all the times that he looked at his note cards for the questions. And I think it shows two things. First is that he needs to rely on these things, which is really just raising or increasing the already large questions about his mental fitness. Why do, in the world does he need note cards to just have a conversation? But then I think the second thing is, is he doesn't actually care to listen to what people are saying. You can't have a prepared conversation, right? If someone's actually saying something that is of substance that you want to know the answer to, you ask a follow-up question. But while people are answering his questions, Joe Biden was reading his note card already as if he was preparing for the next question. So it was a pure show. It actually wasn't about getting answers. It was about just having a a photo op and and a complete stage drive-by. And I think the last thing I'll just say is there have been numerous reports now that it's not just in, in these public settings of using note cards. Biden uses note cards with donor meetings. He uses note cards in private to to give himself the answers about his own policy decisions, which I think is really a a worrying sign when it comes to whether or not Joe Biden has the capacity and the mental fitness to be commander in chief. At an event like this, do you get the sense that these uh, the reporters there, the people covering this, are really hand-selected and that it's by definition a, a, a universally friendly audience? Well, they definitely are, just based off of the fact that for months, for years now, every single time Joe Biden is anywhere and and answers questions, uh, he knows the journalists he is supposed to call on. He has a list of pre-approved journalists. He's even been given the question in the past, which I don't think you can get more friendly than that. Sometimes you do hear journalists that are, are shouting out a question, and he always runs from those as fast as he can, but he can't really run very fast, to be frank. So it's more of a shuffle away. But the point is, he doesn't answer the question. And uh, I, I think the, the media, the mainstream media, has not done their jobs in making sure that Biden is held accountable, which is why, if you notice, they're always playing catch-up. They, they raise these questions of mental fitness after 86% of America already has those concerns. They ask questions about the border after the vast majority of Americans already have those concerns. The mainstream media is playing catch-up because of their bias, and it's a real shame and a disservice to the American people. Tommy, one more thing here on Biden before we move on to some other stuff here. He put out a tweet yesterday bragging on the economy. I'm going to read it word for word here. This is from the official Joe Biden presidential Twitter account, quote, Inflation is the lowest it has been in nearly three years, and wages, health, Wealth and jobs are higher than they were before the pandemic. I was reading some of the comments below, and it didn't seem like that tweet went over real well. One of the comments was yours, Tommy. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, because it's completely divorced from reality. I mean, first of all, when you talk about lowest in three years, uh, that was still during his presidency. We're talking about an inflation rate that's double what it was when Joe Biden came into office. Prices are up 17.9%. And when you talk about inflation, inflation compounds on itself, meaning if we had that 9% increase last year, 
then we have a 3% increase this year. What you're actually saying is a 3% on top of that 9%, right? So you're seeing these accelerated price increases way above trend. So for him to go out and brag about that is absurd with those prices being up 17.9%. And when it comes to the actual benchmark he should be using when he came into office, real wealth has been decimated under Joe Biden. The middle class has lost two trillion in cumulative real wealth since Joe Biden took office. And on top of that, real wages are down around two percent. So there's so much wrong with that tweet. And I think the fundamental way that we know that is from what Americans are telling us, where you have 80 percent view the economy negatively because of Joe Biden's disastrous economic agenda. And Tommy, as ludicrous as that tweet was and those comments are, that what still strikes me is that um, whether it's his press secretary or from Biden himself or others in the administration, when they actually come out and literally say, Joe Biden has cut the deficit. <laughs> they've said it they've said it explicitly and in my and and i guess what they're really saying is that we're not adding to the deficit as fast now as we were last year or the year before that i don't know i don't know where the rationalization comes from for the absolutely incredibly idiotic statement that joe biden has cut the deficit does anybody believe that I don't think anybody does. I mean, but it just shows their economic incompetence. I mean, it shows why you never trust a Democrat with your pocketbook, because they have no idea what they're talking about. And when Joe Biden goes out there and talks about the deficit, sometimes he actually says he's cut the debt, which in no reality is true. No reality. That has been going up under Joe Biden's watch uh, at an astronomical level. And when it comes to deficit, uh, nonpartisan analysis, even Joe Biden's own favorite economist uh, uh, has said that Biden's policies have increased deficit projections, meaning his actions have actually increased deficits. Those are the facts. So he goes out there and he tries to spin it. I don't think anybody's buying it. I think in reality, it just shows that they are economically incompetent uh, and shouldn't be in charge of, uh, of a lemonade stand, let alone the American economy. Tommy Piggott is our guest. He is the Strategic Communications Director for the RNC. Tommy, it's been busy in your neck of the woods at the RNC. We've talked about this before, but the worst-kept secret is now out that Ronna McDaniel is going to be stepping away from the RNC here in a, a matter of weeks. What's the process like for selecting a new head of the RNC? Because I know Donald Trump wants somebody, you know, the folks inside the RNC might want somebody else. I don't know. What's the process like? Well, it's decided by the members. The members meet and they vote on who they would like to be the chair and the co-chair. We've seen announcements of people running already. President Trump made his endorsements for different positions. So there's going to be a meeting. Uh, the members will get together. They'll vote and they'll decide. And then whoever they vote for uh, through that process will then be the chair and the co-chair. Yeah, go ahead, Guy. Uh, well, I, I just had a, another quick question, which is, because I've been curious about this here over the last two or three weeks. Is there a time, and maybe we're past it, I don't know, but is there a time when the RNC um, is, is thinking about going to Nikki Haley and saying, listen, it's time for all of the, the, the muzzles to be pointed outside of the foxhole. Um, it's time to you know unite the party and stop the internal criticism of the, the presumptive candidate, President Trump, um, and let, let's get on with the true fight, which is with President Biden. Is, is, is And maybe this is not an answerable question from the RNC, and if it's unfair, I apologize, but it's just something I'm curious about, because it seems like there's a time um, when there, there, there would be that question of, isn't it time to focus all our attention on winning the election against Biden? Well, I think two things on that. The first is it's that Republican voters are the ones that are deciding. The Republican voters are the ones uh, that are sending 
this message. I think it's important to listen to the voters. We're not like the Democrat primary, which has a history of rigging their primaries and trying to defend their, their favorite candidate like Joe Biden is. Or the Republican voters are the ones that are picking their Republican nominee. And to echo the words of our chair, it's important to look at the results of states as they come in and have an honest conversation about the path forward. Uh, for example, when Ron DeSantis spent a lot of time in Iowa, he looked at the results from Iowa and then decided that he didn't have a path forward and he dropped out of the race. So it's important to listen to the voters. And again, this is the voters who are speaking. And the second thing is our North Star here at the RNC is unity. Our North Star is making sure that our Republican nominee is in the best position possible to beat Joe Biden in November. We're focused on bringing Republicans together. We're focused on beating Joe Biden. That's where our focus is today. It's where our focus has been for the past year. It's where our focus is going to be uh, going forward. Well, even further than the past year, for for the last three years, it's been on that. So uh, our focus is on beating Joe Biden, making him a one-term president. That's where we're going to keep focus, and that's where our energy is going to be, uh, be spent. Tommy Pickett, Strategic Communications Director for the RNC. Check him out on Twitter, at RNC Research. Tommy, we'll talk to you next Friday. We'll talk a little Super Tuesday recap. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Tommy. It's time to play Rob Zombie or Rob Kendall. Please welcome (laughs) Rob Zombie. And now, time to play. This is Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie or... The Duke of Spendingburg, Todd Young. Rob Kendall? I like to talk about Brownsburg. Rob Zombie or Rob Kendall on a Hero Nigel show. <laughs> it is going down. Saturday, August 31st at Ruoff, the Freaks on Parade Tour. Rob Zombie, Alice Cooper and friends. Ben happened to be caller number nine. Ben, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. So, Ben, you know the rules of engagement here. If you win the tickets, somebody has to drive you to this concert so you can have some beverages, okay? Yes, sir. All right. I'm going to read you a fact about someone. It will either be a fact about Rob Zombie or our very own Rob Kendall. You get two out of three correct. I'm going to give you the tickets, all right? Yes, sir. Number one, his real name is Robert Burtlaw Cummings. Robert Burtlaw Cummings, Rob Zombie, or Rob Kendall? Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. There you go. Yes. All right. Get this one correct. We're going to throw a party. Sweet. I DJ'd his first wedding, (laughs) Rob Zombie or Rob Kendall? Hmm, I'm going to go with Rob Kendall. Yeah! (laughs) There we go. And that is how you become a big winner on a Friday. Ben, congratulations. Stay on the line, and Allison will take care of you, okay? Thank you. You got it. Uh, Guy, real quick, I want to give a a little shout-out. Like, Can I do the total radio thing and give somebody a shout-out? Of course, absolutely. Uh, My friend Scott Pollard walked out of the hospital today. Yeah. So my man needed a heart transplant. Which, it's tough when you're seven feet tall to find a donor that matches. And it was pretty dicey there for a little while. Wasn't quite sure he was going to get a donor. Got one. And, man, the miracle of modern medicine, 13 days later, after having a full-on heart transplant surgery... My man walked out of the hospital, rang the bell, and what I love about Scott, if you know anything about Scott, this is pretty vintage. He had a a t-shirt that had the Mr. Chow quote on it from Hangover, 
but did you die? <laughs> he had a but did you die t-shirt on walking out of the hospital. Uh, I texted him today, and I think he's going to join us sometime next week on the show. Uh, oh, man. He's got some doctors to talk to first and sure. some other things, but uh, I believe the big fella will join us next week or maybe the week after, and we'll kind of talk about the amazing journey that he went on. Do not go anywhere. Coming up next, we're going to talk to our pal at Breitbart, Wendell Huzabo. That's next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it is the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nige is out. Guy Relford is in. And 12 years ago today, Andrew Breitbart passed away. One of the most passionate voices in terms of conservatism in this country. And his website lives on, Breitbart.com. And joining us now on the hotline, one of the writers at Breitbart.com, uh, Wendell Husebo joins us. Wendell, we booked you to come on the show to talk about what's going on with Fannie Willis down in Georgia and all of that chaos. But on this 12th anniversary of the passing of Andrew Breitbart, if you wouldn't mind, just reflect a little bit on why he was so important, and do you feel like his vision is being fulfilled with what's happening today at Breitbart? Thanks for having me on, Jason. And uh, yeah, you know, Andrew Breitbart, he's a giant in the conservative media space and, you know, just a giant in general in the media space. And I think what I learned from him is, you know, citizen journalism is such an important part of telling the truth and holding the establishment media accountable for all the lies that they that they uh, put out for uh, for the voters to digest. And so, you know, we really miss Andrew Breitbart. Uh, I never personally met him, but when I go around and I meet with people, they all tell me, hey, I met Andrew, and man, he was such a great guy. And, and so I'm so honored to work for Breitbart News. So, Wendell, one of the things you've been working on over at Breitbart is covering this wild story down at Fulton County in Georgia with Fannie Willis, and I refuse to call her Fannie. I call her Fannie Willis, Wendell. And <laughs> you've got some information here that I don't think a lot of people are aware like we've been talking about this story and we've been playing the sound bites and it's been pretty crazy but you've been doing a little bit of digging into this whole thing and one of the things that you've reported on is that the judge in the Fulton County Trump case actually donated to Fannie Willis Yes, he did. He donated $150. Now, uh, lawyers tell me, I'm not a lawyer, but lawyers tell me that uh, that donation is not as significant as if it was, you know, thousands of dollars or if it, you know, was recently. That donation happened in 2020 uh, before the judge, uh, you know, uh, became a judge in Fulton County. And so, you know, it is something to report on. I reported on it. I think it's significant. But as far as the legal ramifications, I'm not sure if there's much there. And you're right, but all 
all this does for me, and maybe I'm just thinking too much into this, Wendell, is that what appears to be a slam dunk kind of situation here, you know, Fanny melting down, the text messages, you know, the contradiction of everything, the timeline, what seems to be a slam dunk. Now, all of a sudden, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but hold on here. The judge has donated to her in the past. From a political perspective, it certainly raises concerns of conflict of interest. It certainly does. I don't think it looks good. Uh, I'm sure that you know the Breitbart readers are very concerned about it, uh, and it concerns me. Uh, moving forward, we'll see how the judge handles uh, this hearing, and uh, we'll see if he ultimately disqualifies uh, Fannie, as you say, Fannie Willis, from, uh, from the Trump case. What are some other things that you've found interesting in regards to what's happening in Georgia? Well, Breitbart News reported uh, Monday that the Biden administration has a plant inside Fulton County. And that plant uh, was put there, according to sources, uh, to target Trump. Now, why does that matter? Well, it raises uh, election interference concerns. If you have a former president with a plant inside Fulton County that's targeting Trump, his political opponent, that's that's concerning. Now, who's the plant? His name is Jeff DeSantis, according to Breitbart News Sourcing, and he is the deputy DA under Fannie. And he is a former Georgia DNC operative. He's worked 30 congressional campaigns, including a campaign in 2022 for Gabe Ammo. Gabe Ammo won and is now Rhode Island's uh, uh, representative. And uh, the link there is significant because Ammo is a former Biden aide who used to work with local officials as a liaison with the Biden admin and uh, uh, local officials around the nation. And so that is just one very important link. And something that underpins that link is that Emmo paid DeSantis $131,000 in 2023. So there is a financial tie there. And there's another tie, which is that Jeff DeSantis's business partner in his side business, uh, which is, you know, political consulting, this fellow uh, is working with the Biden campaign, the 2024 Biden campaign. And so what we see is we see links developing between Fulton County and Biden, which is concerning. I mean, this sounds like something out of like a movie or a TV series, you know, uh, something you would binge watch, you know, about drama. Now, real quick, just because I know our audience is probably wondering that DeSantis, nothing to do with Ron DeSantis. It's a completely different spelling, correct? I'm originally from Florida, and uh, Ron DeSantis is a fantastic governor, but that is a different person than Jeff DeSantis. DeSantis Jeff DeSantis' last name is spelled D-I-S-A-N-T-I-S. Right. Uh, we're chatting with Wendell Husebo from Breitbart. He's been doing a phenomenal job of covering Fannie Willis and all that going on down in Fulton County. Now, I know the Trump legal team, they say that the cell phone data completely contradicts the testimony and that Willis committed perjury on the stand. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. What do you think, Wendell? 
I don't know. I'm not a lawyer either, but let me just tell you what. Uh, there's been so many contradictions with Wade's and Willis's testimony that it just seems to me like both Wade and Willis are liars. Yeah, and the cell phone data speaks for itself. Like, it's never good when the star witness, who acted like he had amnesia this past week, finally gets to go on the stand. He's confronted with the things that he claimed he couldn't remember, and his only response is, quote, dang. <laughs> that's that's probably not good for Team Fanny Willis. No, it's not, and it just it just is another example of these powerful people who get into positions. When they're questioned about their history, they always seem to not remember what exactly they did or who they were messaging. Another example, for instance, is Hunter Biden and James Biden. They were recently questioned in front of the House impeachment inquiry behind closed doors, and my sources tell me that they couldn't remember half of what they did. And so <laughs> these Democrats, man, I wish that uh, I wish that they would take more notes. All right. One more time here before we let you go, Wendell. The big takeaway, the big bombshell, if you will, of what you've learned. So, you know, the, 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 I think the big story, the takeaway, the headline is, is that the Biden administration has a plant inside Fulton County to target Trump. Uh, these sources, they're, they're multiple sources, and they uh, were there uh, during the 2020 uh, transition when Fani won election and replaced her predecessor. And uh, they tell us that... Jeff DeSantis uh, is a fellow that we should be looking into, along with Wade. Wade was also there during the 2020 transition. Now, uh, according to the sources, that contradicts Wade's testimony because Wade said that he hadn't engaged in the affair with uh, with with Fani until 2022. Well, my sources tell me that there was definitely some. Uh, romantic interest there in 2020. And so if this bears out to be true, I think Wade and Willis are definitely going to have a hard time moving forward in their legal profession. Wendell, where can we get more information? Uh, please go to Breitbart News, uh, Breitbart.com, and uh, you can follow me at uh, Wendell Husebo on Twitter. Wendell Husebo from Breitbart. Wendell, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on a Friday. Have a great weekend, man. You too. Have a great one. Amber and Nigel presents. Is. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Rock and roll. The gun guy, Guy Relford, is in for Big Nige. And this is how we're going to do Is This Anything? I'm going to run some stories by Guy. He's going to be the one that breaks down all the information and gives us a verdict. Is the story anything or not? We start with this. Deputies in Florida were able to find a missing five-year-old in a swamp in less than an hour. Here's the moment that rescuers found and rescued the five-year-old girl who also happens to have autism. Come here, sweetie. Sweetheart. We were looking for you, sweetheart. 
Man, of all places to be lost, guy, the Florida swamp. swamp. This little girl was found in less than an hour. Is this anything? Oh, heck, yeah. I mean, this is huge. I mean, you think of all the horrible things that could have happened to this little girl. I mean, at five years old, she's she's not tall enough to even get her head above a lot of the water in a swamp. So drowning, alligators, snakes, all kinds of uh, bad things that could have happened. And uh, those rescuers were in there. And you just, again, we talked about first responders earlier. Here's heroic first responders, man, out, you know, putting themselves in harm's way, and they found this little girl. Oh, hell yeah, that's definitely something. I started thinking about this. Is there a scarier place in the country in terms of all the different dangers than the swamp in Florida? Right. You're right, because there's alligators, right. there's big snakes, yeah. there's crazy, you know, bugs and insects there's water you know sometimes you might not see the water because there's plant life as well oh yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff down there is there anywhere else in the country whether it be the mountains you know in gatlinburg smoky mountains or the mountain ranges out west anywhere else as dangerous i'd say south side of chicago is this anything a high school in new mexico is being sued after a science teacher had the kids fight with actual swords to teach them about the different types of metals. So the students had an actual sword fight with real swords, and one girl ended up with a serious gash on her wrist and needs surgery. Yeah, I mean, yes is something. And, <laughs> and listen, I, I'm, uh, I'm all for teaching uh, kids about uh, weapons of all kind and, and doing so in a responsible way, but to, to hand a high school kid a sword, much less two of them, and say, have at it? I mean, <laughs> that's completely irresponsible and ridiculous. This and is the, like some Wild West stuff. Might as well have a duel. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we're going to do that to teach them about gunpowder? I mean, that doesn't make any sense either. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, and the fact that a, a young girl was, was, was hurt, seriously, just shows you that this was just a really, really poor decision and irresponsible, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, school district doesn't see some litigation. And now we're going to learn about Vladimir Putin by playing Russian roulette. Yeah, right. All right, yeah, Susie, exactly. take this gun. Spin the chamber. Yeah. Is this anything? An online poll asked who would win in a fight, an average 70-year-old or an average 13-year-old, and an overwhelming majority, 65%, said the 13-year-old would win. This is a topic that's going viral. Is this anything and who you got? Well, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's such a wide variability among 70-year-olds. And listen, 20 years ago, if you asked me this question, I might have sided with the 13-year-olds, too. But I'm not that far away from 70 as I'm sitting here. Right. I mean, I, I'll take 70-year-old Guy Relford <laughs> yeah, over like, a 13-year-old. You know, I would be cautiously optimistic about me up against a 13-year-old. But uh, but, but, but no, I, I, this is something because it shows you that right off the, off the cuff, people look at that as being really an advanced old age. And listen, for some people I know, um, yeah, they're, they're not doing well at 70, and they've got a lot 
lot of disabilities. Uh, others, uh, you would never know in a million years. So I, I get it. I understand it. Uh, but the older I get, the more exception I might take to this. And this is such, you're right, it depends on the person, right? Because oh, yeah. Joe Biden at 82, I mean, he's 82 years old. We talked about this yesterday. Right. His real birth date is closer to the assassination of Lincoln than it is to present day. And he's the president. Mitch McConnell, he's basically the same age. Um, same story, closer to the death of Lincoln than present day. Those dudes, even at 70, I would take the 13-year-old. But some people still got their fastball. You look at former Colts coach Jim Mora. Oh, now, yeah. I don't quite think he's you know 70. Maybe he is. But he's in great shape for an older man. So I don't know. It kind of depends on the salty, surly 70-year-old that we're dealing with here. Oh, I think that's exactly right. But, you know, it's funny. I, I've actually seen a T-shirt um, that says, don't mess with an old guy. Uh, we're, we're too old to fight and uh, too slow to run, so we'll just shoot you. <laughs> they figure out more of uh, ways to win than the uh, <laughs> cocky 13-year-old. That's right. right. We're devious. Uh, let me see how old Jim Mora is here real quick. There's no way he's 88. Jim Mora, playoffs? Jim Mora? I typed it in in Google, and it says Jim Mora is 88. He looks damn good for a guy that's almost 90, and he's going to have two entries into Meltdown Madness, which starts on Monday, 435. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Uh, one more here for you, Guy. Is this anything? A guy at a Florida strip club refused to tip the dancers... So a female employee, i.e. stripper, smacked him upside the head with a stack of cash. <laughs> He's now suing her, and she's facing battery charges. There's a lot going on here. Is this anything? Well, hold on. She's she's getting prosecuted for smacking a guy with a stack of cash. Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, if you want to get tipped as a, as a, as a stripper, let me give you a little advice here. Don't flaunt your stack of cash. Okay, so I mean, immediately people start thinking, well, I don't need to tip you because you got a stack of cash. But secondly, um, this is not anything because are there jerks at strip clubs? Yes. And do minor incidents like this happen there? Yes. So I don't think it, it means much. And listen, battery, I, I tell this all the time to people. Battery is the easiest crime in the world to prove as a prosecutor. You know what? You know what battery is in Indiana, Jason? It's touching someone in a rude, angry, or insolent manner. That's it. Touching in a rude, angry, or insolent manner. That's a battery. So smacking somebody with your stack of cash because you're angry? Yeah, that's a battery. She may have an issue. So if I get mad at Rob Kendall and I start yelling at him, and I'm like Earl Weaver, the old Orioles manager, yelling at the umpire, and I take my finger and I poke it in his chest that's battery yeah touching someone in a rude wow. angry insolent manner somebody's in your way and you shove them out of the way that's battery now there are degrees so there's there's a low-level misdemeanor just battery then there's battery with injury with a class is a class a misdemeanor and then there's battery with serious bodily injury that goes into the felonies so you do the be, judges though look at that and go get out of here case dismissed or do they you know play ball with those charges well it depends but i'll tell you where it comes into my practice all the time is that people don't understand when they get in a domestic 
domestic situation and you put your, you put your hands on somebody in a domestic situation you're pushing you're shoving you're keeping somebody from leaving you put your hands on somebody that's going to get prosecuted as a domestic battery and when the victim of the battery is a domestic partner what we're calling intimate partner legally then that's domestic battery even though nobody was hurt um, and even though it was just touching in a rude anger or insolent manner people don't understand that a lot of people have lost their gun rights because of that a little impromptu legal stuff right there i like it it's the hammer and nigel show whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you you're listening to the hammer and nigel show having a good time with you guys on a friday the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Guy Relford filling in for Big Nige. Quick update. Closing arguments have wrapped up in the Fannie Willis situation down in Georgia. Judge has heard everything, and now we wait. Uh, Don't expect a decision soon. The judge has basically said, we hope to have this all wrapped up in a matter of weeks. Not days, weeks. So, if anything changes from that, we will let you know. Uh, joining us in studio, uh, a couple friends who have had issues with voting in Marion County the way that I've had. Now, I'm not talking about technical issues. I'm talking about goons from Democratic candidates hassling people. And then the folks at the Indiana Election Committee basically being like Frank Drebin in the naked gun when the building's exploding. Nothing to see here. So John Schmitz, friend of the show, uh, he is the host of the Mouthwash talk show that you can find on various platforms, a man that has ran for public office here in Indy before. John, welcome back, and I see you brought a guest here. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's great to be back, and I appreciate the time here to get on this platform to talk about issues in our city that really sort of get brushed under the rug. So we got Linda, uh, Linda, Laura Pearson here. And you had one job. Introduce the know, guest, know, John. Know, Come on. It's like, really? It's like, it's a, it's been a long Friday. <laughs> I, you didn't offer me any beer sample Friday stuff, so I, you know, I'm not on my game. I got you. I got you. But anyway, so Laura, she had some fun on Election Day, so it's sort of my fault. I thought, Laura wants to volunteer. She's not been in politics. She wanted to help Lisa with her with her campaign. I said, well, I'm going to go put you at our best campaign And Lisa site. is your wife who ran well, yeah, for ran city for council. She ran for city council, yep. So I'm going to put her easy. She's not been in politics. I'm going to put it at our best location. We've gotten votes there when I ran. We got a ton of votes there. So I set her up over there. I said, what could go wrong? Well, let Laura tell you a little bit about that. (laughs) All right. So Laura Pearson is here. And Laura, it sounds like, though you and I have never met, we've got quite a bit in common. So when I went to vote on Election Day, for those who don't know the story or maybe you're tuning in for the first time, there was some big, fat, gross-looking goon that was there from the Jared Evans team. Now, Jared Evans ultimately won the city council race on the southwest side. I really don't have any problems with Jared Evans himself, per se, but the people that he had out stumping for him, one of them was this ogre-looking guy with sweat and spilled stuff all over his clothes. He was harassing myself and my son as we went to go vote. Started dropping F-bombs, was, you know, trying to basically get me to engage in some sort of fight with him, because I think that's really what he wanted. I didn't take the bait. So what I did was I called the Indiana Election Committee, and I emailed, and I called, and basically, 
They just told me, screw off, kid. So maybe it was just me. Laura, did you have a similar experience in voting in Marion County? Um, I can't say that it was quite the same as yours, but very similar. It was an all-day experience. I arrived at an election site on the west side of Indy to help a friend out. Um, she said anytime between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. So I decided I'd stay for a few hours, leave around noon, and call it a day. Uh, when I arrived a little bit after 7, I immediately, one of the first things I noticed was the handicapped spaces were blocked by a poll worker's vehicle. It was part perpendicular, so taking up two spaces. And then I went to enter the building, and there the door is clearly marked, no campaigning beyond this point. And right. as I opened the door and walked in, I was met by a group of campaigners for the incumbent. Which that, is, I'm assuming, just tell me if I'm wrong, a Democrat. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shot. I'm going to move your microphone so people can see your beautiful face here real quick. Hold on. <laughs> okay, continue. And then um, I made, they stood up and were handy, trying to hand me flyers, and I told them I was just looking for the restroom. I went on back through the polling room, and I noticed campaign flyers all over the tables. And um, then when I left and exited the building, I uh, contacted my friend and let her know what I was um, witnessing. And she said, go talk to a poll worker. So I grabbed the poll worker that was that I actually, when I first entered the building, was casually talking to these campaigners. Right. So I asked him, I introduced myself and I asked him, I said, I'm confused. Why are campaigners allowed to campaign inside the building past a sign that clearly says they're not allowed? And he told me um, that he's not paid enough to enforce the rules. Oh, okay. So I, and did you take this to the Indiana Election Board? Not quite at that moment. At that moment, I asked him who was paid enough to enforce the rules, and he started filling me full of crap. So right. I just went inside, found another poll worker who in turn turned out to be the inspector at the site, and told him there's campaigners inside the building. And he went, and walked away from me. Now, the reason that I think this is important and the reason that I have you here is because I think there's probably a lot of people who have gone through the same crap that we have. I don't know you, Laura. Today's the mm -hmm. first day that we've ever, you know, spoken, have been mm -hmm. face to face. But we have had similar issues. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the election committee, the election board here in here in Marion County does not give a damn because I did everything right. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that the big fat ogre probably wanted to get into a fight with me so then he mm -hmm. could file an assault charge and I would lose my job. That's probably his end game. I'm smarter than that. I wasn't going to fall for that. So I did everything right. I simply went to the election board. I filled out the form. I did the email. I made the phone call. Hey, you got dudes dropping F-bombs against me and my kid out here in a very threatening manner trying to pick a fight with me here. And the response I got was, well, it seems like it happened to just you and not anybody else. And that was it. And I have got documentation to back this up. John, I've showed you the documentation. So did you get any sort of feedback, any sort of response from any of these people, Laura? I did, eventually. It's taken um, until just the last week or two that I finally got a response. Um, I spoke to the deputy director at the Marion County Election Board. He finally took my call after months of emails and phone calls. And... Um, in summary, told me they were not pursuing the matter and that they met with the attorney and 
they decided not to do anything. So That's the it, same crap that they basically mm-hmm. told me. Well, we've decided not to pursue it. We've met with everybody. Mm-hmm. Kick rocks. You know where yes. this needs to go? This needs to go where we need to chronicle these things. You know, we've all got video cameras in our phones these mm-hmm. days, right? Absolutely. So, went from, I mean, and I wouldn't necessarily have thought to do it in the moment. See, that's the thing. I, you, I you did. Think this is, this is, <laughs> oh, you did. She got, oh, yeah. I have uh, umpteen photographs, videos. So, there, I have absolute proof, not to mention the fact that I had multiple conversations with the gentleman at the election office while it, in real time, while it was occurring. They had to have multiple conversations with the inspector to help him try to gain control. And ultimately, what that was, was just after two hours of these phone calls, they finally left the building, two hours, in multiple phone calls before they would leave the building. Then they just went right directly outside the building outside the door and then set their chairs up well within 50 feet of that door. Right. And then by doing that, they ultimately, it's a drive-through. So with the handicap spots blocked by a poll worker that the election board did not seem to want to advocate for either, they then did not advocate for the elderly or the handicapped because they allowed the campaign workers to remain in this spot for the entirety of the day, blocking the drive-through to the point I have many photographs of people arriving with canes and walkers that weren't able to drive through. And at one point, a young lady, I believe it was her father, she dropped him off and he had to walk around them to get inside and with his walker. And then she came to them and said, would you mind if I pulled up here to pick up my father so he doesn't have to walk through the parking lot? And the lady said, sure, you can back in here. Wow. And honestly, Laura, the part of your experience that infuriates me the most, like, I understand if we want to have a debate about Mm -hmm. how far away they are. I think a lot of people probably break that boundary. All right, fine. But when you're trying to get supervisors involved here, when you're trying to get somebody that's supposed to be in charge to do leadership things, they basically gave you two middle fingers and said, I don't get paid enough, kick rocks. Well, Especially when it's that. so clear cut. I mean, but, it's it's the shoot is what they always talk about, right? This 50-foot mm-hmm. business. But they're inside the building. They yeah. were inside the building, but then when they came out, they remained, I mean, right outside the door and lined up their chairs, camping chairs and coolers, Unbelievable. Line them up to where, and not just that, but then the incumbent showed up at 10 a.m. Because my report's very detailed. Right. But I gave, I mean, there's times. As was mine. Names. I had a photo. I uh, have photos. The The incumbent showed up, powwowed with the, board, the poll workers, talked with all of his group of campaigners. So he's fully aware. And then later, I looked at his campaign website or his campaign Facebook page. And that day he made a post, campaign or election day. Right. And then underneath it, I start looking at the comments. And there is one of his own voters who has said, and I'm not going to give his name because this has now since been erased. And I filed this as an addendum to my report. It has now been erased. But it says your folks at Life Church are almost completely blocking the entryway inside doors. And even as a Democrat, it was a pretty threatening way to try to go and vote. Right. Wow. So on top of all my photos, plus this, 
I they still aren't going to do anything. I mean, I was, and that's I a felt, problem. We got about one minute left here. I don't mean to cut you off. We're running out of time here, but we got about one minute left. I want everybody to know that stories like Laura's, stories like mine, are happening all over Marion County. Mm-hmm. But because it's a one Democrat supermajority, they feel like they can get away with it. And two, these losers at the election board, and I don't know who they are. I'm going to look up and find some names. I have their names. But read their names. <laughs> oh, read wait, their names. Who have... are these losers? Because people need to know because they don't do a damn thing in this county. I mean, it's posted on their website, which I have to say, there's nothing on their website that tells you how to file a complaint. Right. But And if you do file a complaint, it's going to be ignored in the order that it was received. Well, the S- Secretary of State's <laughs> office never received my complaint, interestingly enough. <laughs> Um, but the chair is Nolita Stewart. The vice chair is Jennifer Ping. And the secretary and county clerk is Kate Sweeney Bell. And according to the attorney, the board's attorney, he met with each one individually. And not, not one of them decided there was anything worth pursuing. And the thing is, folks like Laura and I and John and I and Guy and I, we feel comfortable engaging these people that are harassing you at the polls. Oh, yeah. We will engage and go back and forth and we'll fight back with them. But there are a lot of people that that's out of their comfort zone and it scares them and they don't like it. And these losers that you just mentioned, Laura, they're not doing a damn thing about it. No, I agree. They have failed as public servants. Um, in their duties to uphold the election laws, to provide secure election sites. And they're also, one of their duties is to tr- properly train poll workers. Laura, John, thank you so much for taking the time to come in here and talking about this, because I do think this is very important. People need to know what's happening. And if it's happening here in Marion County, even if you live in a red county, Pay attention to your local elections, because this kind of crap, it spreads. If you see it, report it. Thank you. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! The clock is ticking. We are getting closer and closer to officially kicking off the weekend with Beer Sample Friday. That is coming up in just a little bit. My name is Jason Hammer. Big Nige is out today. Guy Relford is in. It was a big day yesterday, Guy. We had two presidents at the border. You had the current president in Joe Biden. He went to Brownsville where... They're not seeing as much action as they have in the past. And then you had former President Donald Trump. He went to Eagle Pass, where it's not as bad as it was maybe a couple weeks ago, but they're still getting thousands of people through the border there at Eagle Pass. And ultimately, both guys spoke to the press. You know, Donald Trump spent most of his time talking about some of the crime coming across the border. Um, Talked about the young lady that passed away in Georgia. I say passed away. was brutally murdered by an illegal immigrant that came across the border. Joe Biden kind of shuffled along with a couple handlers, had pre-written down questions on a note card. And then when he spoke to the press, he had a message for Donald Trump. I understand my predecessors in Eagle Pass today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. 
Instead of playing policy with the issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me, or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. We work for the American people, not the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. We work for the American people. And let's remember who we are. We're the United States of America. No, I mean this. Think about this. There's nothing, nothing beyond our capacity, nothing when we work together. And if all things we should be working together on is this, we have the formula to get it done. Jason, this angers me beyond words. He's he's saying unless Republicans pass a new law and by joining Democrats, then he's powerless to enforce current immigration laws at the border. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I can't do this job at the border as as the president of the United States without an additional law, which begs the question of why was this whole situation so much better under President Trump under the same laws that exist today? Why, why, why have the numbers flowing across the border dramatically multiplied, multiplied? not just increased, multiplied since Biden's been in office because he refuses to enforce existing law. And to turn around and say, oh, if I don't get a new law that I'm asking for, it'll be Republicans' fault, and that prevents me from doing my job is a complete farce. It's ridiculous. And it breaks my heart there's anybody in this country, Republican or Democrat, that buys that crap. And for Joe Biden to act like, why can't we come together? We're the United States. Yeah. His first day in office, he did everything opposite of Donald Trump. And this is why the situation is what it is. 100%. You don't need a bipartisan bill to enforce laws that are already in place. He doesn't want to enforce the laws. He overrode the previous things that Donald Trump did that weren't law got rid of a lot of the policies, and now you're sitting there saying you want Donald Trump to support this awful bill. And by the way, we say this all the time. There's a little game we play called What Else is in the Bill? Right, exactly. The headline is Bipartisan Border Bill. This is going to give you support for the border, technology, and more Border Patrol agents. But what else is in the bill? Here is what else is in the bill. This bill that Joe Biden wants Donald Trump and Republicans to be a part of codifies 1.8 million illegals. And it also, and this is very sneaky, this is key, in addition to the 1.8 million illegals it allows, it gives President Biden the leeway to increase that number at his discretion. So it's a free pass for at least 1.8. And oh, by the way, the president can change that like that. So you're actually talking about bypassing current immigration law. We're going to say, oh, okay, we're going to set that aside and make these people legal when they're in the country illegally. Right. And that's a fix to the problem. Unbelievable. This, quote, bipartisan border bill funds sanctuary cities, uh, taxpayer-funded lawyers to illegal immigrants, no real deportation plan. 
and no immediate wall funding. When they talk about funding the border here and money for the border, they're talking about drones and cameras and technology and agents and all of that's fine, but there's no immediate funding for barriers and walls. So why would any Republican sign off on that? And it's embarrassing that this is being viewed as a bipartisan bill because some Republicans thought this was a good bill, Guy. Yeah, it's the old mentality of, well, we have to do something, so something's better than nothing, and and because of that, they'll support a bad bill and give Biden cover for what is complete BS, which is that he actually needs any additional laws to enforce current law. We're talking about keeping illegal illegal aliens out of this country. There's a reason that they're illegal, because current law says it's illegal. All you got to do is enforce existing law, just like Trump did. Bingo. Allison, hit me with a little legal stuff. Crime, punishment, judges, legal stuff. There's a lot going on here. Guy, have you ever been to Eaton, Indiana? E-A-T-O-N. Eaton, Indiana. I believe I have ridden through it on a motorcycle. It's a little north of Muncie yeah. in Delaware County. Yeah. Dateline, Eaton, Indiana. Now, please follow me because this is a journey. This is something that could be like a comedy movie one day. Court documents reveal that an Indiana man thought he and his wife were moving into a brand new home after going through the real estate process and being handed keys to a new house in Eaton. What the guy didn't know, however, was that his wife faked all of the financial documents that were turned into the realtors and then broke into the home, smashed open the lockbox, and told the husband that we're home, we're new homeowners. Now, according to court documents... Police officers from the Eaton Police Department were called out to the home around 6.40 p.m. on February 16th after the real property owner claimed to have spotted a U-Haul truck outside the home. Now, the real property owner does have this place up for sale, but he knows that nobody has finalized this you know, purchase yet. So officers arrive to the scene, and they find this couple moving all their furniture into the house. Courtney Davis, 32 years old, the wife, told police officers that she and her husband had purchased a home and had the keys, and they showed them to the officers. But they had broken into the home. She had faked all the paperwork. The realtor noticed this was fake because of all the, quote, spelling and grammatical errors on the contract. Oh, my. So this hillbilly from Delaware County, this awful woman, fakes the documents, can't spell anything, might as well have written it in crayon, and is trying to use that to trick the officers into thinking, we've got this house. And the dumbass husband doesn't know any better. He thinks that she's handled everything here. (laughs) Now, when the couple was confronted about their crime... The wife told police that her husband had been left in the dark about all the fraud going on. He wasn't aware of the fake documents, and she broke into the house and smashed open the lockbox. She confessed to breaking into the home and moving in. She even climbed through the windows to unlock the doors and smashed open the lockbox. Now, that itself is a hell of a story. <laughs> yes. But as the late, great Billy Mays once said, 
But wait, there's, there's more. more. During the investigation, it was discovered that a tow truck driven by the woman's husband was also stolen. Oh, no. So the guy who was in the dark about the fraud may or may not have had a stolen truck. And the husband is now facing charges of residential entry and possession of stolen property. The wife is facing felony charges of possession of stolen property, fraud, criminal mischief, burglary, residential entry, obstruction of justice, and false informing. Whoo! Wow. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on. Hillbillies in Delaware County coming up with their fake paperwork, and it's all spelled wrong, and it looks like crap. (laughs) By the way, just so you know, residential entry is what Indiana calls breaking and entering. Really? So so when you you hear that term, it doesn't sound like breaking and entering, but that's what it is. Indiana, and you know why? Because you don't have to break anything to be guilty of the crime of illegally entering someone else's home, and that's why Indiana calls it something different. Uh, But that's what we're talking about here is breaking and entering. Are you okay? Everything's going to be okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm pretty far from okay. Are you okay with this? On the Hammer and Nigel show. Oh, yeah! All right, before we get into are you okay with this, before the commercial break, we told a crazy story from Eaton, Indiana about this hillbilly group of people that tried to break into a house and they filled out fake paperwork and the husband had a stolen car and they never really had any access to the house at all we said who would you cast in this movie mike on twitter makes a good point at hammer and nigel kurt russell and goldie hawn already did it overboard if you remember the movie overboard with kurt russell and goldie hawn yeah yeah, okay. They, they were All squatters right. in somebody else's house. <laughs> All right. Is I'm sorry. Are you okay with this? This is what we're going to do. Normally, I'm the one answering the questions here, but I'm going to flip the script. And I'm going to make Guy Relford tell me if he's okay with these stories. Okay. You bet. North Carolina state swimmer, NC State, stripped of a title after celebrating with his teammate in a college swim meet. So what happened was there was a college swim meet and an NC State swimmer. He finished in first place. Now, the rules are you can't get in any other lane until everybody is done. But he had another teammate next to him. So after he had finished first, he kind of was sitting on the rope. He jumped over to hug his teammate, you know, because he knew he was first. And I think the other guy was going to be second. There was still a straggler still finishing up multiple lanes over. Because he violated that rule, they said he was not the winner. And the second place swimmer was actually the winner. This was the interview with the second place swimmer talking about the way that he won. I think that's the dumbest rule in swimming. Owen beat me fair and square. He used to be on that toe of the podium. He was excited. That's a huge win for him, right? He earned that. He earned that, and that's his emotion, right? That's what we get in the sport of swimming when we do well. We train all year for a moment like that, and to have him disqualified, I think, is the dumbest thing ever. Do you mind? He works so hard every day. He is going to be on the number one trophy. I am not going to stand up there. Ross, do you mind if I uh, I ask you what rule did he break? We haven't even heard up here. 
whenever you win, you're not allowed. Well, the other team, or excuse me, the other swimmers are still swimming. You're allowed. You have to stay in your own lane. You're not allowed to jump or cross over the lane line into someone's lane. And in this celebration, which he earned, he came over to my lane. Oh my God. No, he earned that fair and square. He will be getting that medal. So, guy, this swimmer who won celebrated with his teammate by just, you know, kind of jumping over the little divider between swim lanes, hugged his teammate, was disqualified, and you just heard from the second place guy. Yeah. Are you okay with this? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, listen, this, this strikes me as probably being some small time official who's trying to justify their own existence and say, aha, look, I just tagged you off base here for uh, technically violating a rule that is not what it sounds like. You know, Interfering with number, another swimmer should be like interference in baseball. You have to actually interfere with a batter or a runner, and it has to be actual interference that impedes the play. This, you know, where he, he happens to be in another lane where the, 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 the person was done in the lane that, was, that, that he jumped into. So it's silly. It's ridiculous. I'm definitely not okay with it. I feel terrible for this guy who uh, deserved to get his medal. So if I understand this correctly, in college swimming, you can be a grown-ass man with a oh, crank yeah. <laughs> and beat women, and that's fine. But if you hug your teammate in a race where it technically isn't over, disqualification. Yeah, you can be a 6'4", 200-pound dude, and that's totally all right. Yeah, unbelievable. Are you okay with this? Sopranos actress, Drea De Matteo. She was the love interest for Christopher Maltesanti. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Adriana. Yeah, on The Sopranos. Yep. She did an interview and said she was on the verge of losing her house recently, but then she joined OnlyFans, and within five minutes, Guy, five minutes, she was financially secure again. Are you okay with this? Yeah. I mean, I feel terrible that this lady fell on financial hard times. And I hope it wasn't just from mismanagement of her funds, but the fact that she uh, she salvaged the situation uh, by going on OnlyFans. Hey, man, it's capitalism. You know that's what makes America great. You, right. And 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 if she was doing something she's comfortable in doing, and she obviously was from the interview I saw, she said, "Oh, it, it, she said OnlyFans saved us." literally saved us, then, hey, I'm glad she had that uh, opportunity, and, and I'm glad it worked out for her. Absolutely okay with that. All right, we've got time for one more here, and it's a another soprano story, yeah. ironically, here. A lot of soprano stories today. The iconic booth that was used in the final scene of the final episode of The Sopranos, where Tony may have been whacked, and you hear yeah. Don't Stop Believing in the background. Yeah, That's from a real place holston's in bloomfield new jersey they're selling that specific booth for a fundraiser for their restaurant their ice cream parlor slash restaurant the bidding begins at thirty thousand dollars at an auction are you okay with this absolutely same answer man capitalism you know you're gonna you know uh provide some upgrades to your business um, and you can sell something that's worth money. What He's supposed to preserve it for its nostalgic value so people can come by and put their hand on the back of the booth and go oh, this is the booth. I think people do though. There's a sign on it that says reserved for the Soprano family Yeah. and I read an interview where it doesn't happen as much now, but back in the day, people would come by specifically looking for the Tony Soprano booth. Well, that's all nice, but it's his business. 
it's his property. He can do what he wants to, and if he can uh, improve his business, that's his decision to make, and nobody else has any right to uh, criticize whatsoever. If I had the money, if I had thirty plus thousand dollars of disposable income, yeah, I would so bid on that. That would be badass in my basement because my basement, <laughs> we're redoing a house right now. Yeah, it's going to awesome. be like a, a Rat Pack, old school kind of Vegas thing. But there's room for Tony Soprano's booth. I'm telling you, I love that. But I would say the most important question though, because we're both Soprano fans, did Tony get whacked or not? Yes, <laughs> Tony got whacked, and. I think it was uh, the dudes that came in toward the end. Yeah, I'll yeah. take it next level. I think it was yeah. those two dudes that came in at the end. Yeah. So well, let- it, it would be better radio if I could explain to you why you're wrong. But actually, <laughs> I actually, I actually agree with you 100. percent Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yo. Laying down one night, you're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. The best damn 2A attorney in the country is Guy Relford. A man that helps write laws here in the state of Indiana is Guy Relford. And it's time to pick his brain. Ask the gun guy. So if you've got a question about anything gun related, situations, laws now is the time to ask we'll get as many calls in as we can all we ask is that you keep your questions brief don't take like five minutes of our time get your question out quickly and keep it clean all right let's rock and roll wilma is up first wilma we got the gun guy here go ahead yes just need to know the number that's the fbi number that you can go get around the delay when you go to purchase a firearm um uh, the number like the phone number or no it's just it was just something that you just uh, oh 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 oh! i think what you're talking about if you got delayed or denied in a firearm transaction i think i know i I know what you're asking me you're talking about the nix transaction number the ntn and the nix transaction number the gun store should give that to you on a on a little form that comes from atf fbi um that has ntn on it and it's a combination of letters and numbers but that's your ntn that's what you need but the gun store should have given that to anybody who was delayed or denied well, it was at a gun show. It was NTN, Nick's transaction number. Okay, thank you so very much. You're welcome. All right, Joe is up next. Joe, we got the gun guy here. Rock and roll. All right, reciprocity. States, uh, having in Indiana, I understand there's some states you can't, but I know Florida and Utah, uh, are those still good for traveling for a majority of the western states for utah and eastern for florida is that still good well i'll tell you where you go you go to uh the 2a project my gun rights organization the 2a project.com and uh, and you scroll down to the articles and, and one of them i wrote after constitutional carry passed here in indiana i wrote an article that says how reciprocity works since constitutional carry that spells it out in terms of what states you're legal in what states also have constitutional carry and then what states don't have constitutional carry but recognize the indiana license that'll give you all those states the only thing to remember is that um, I believe it's Texas and Alabama, if I remember correctly, have passed constitutional carry since I p- 
posted that article, and so just keep that in mind. But in terms of what states recognize our license, just go to the2aproject.com, scroll down, and also the U.S. Concealed Carry Association, USCCA, they have a reciprocity page. It's interactive. It's great. You go there, you say what state you live in, do you have a license, yes or no, um, what state you what states you're legal in, boom, a map comes right up, and it's really convenient. And, you, and, and I download that app, um, that, that app, and I can access it from my phone. So U.S. Concealed Carry Association has a great interactive map. Wouldn't it still be ideal to have one of those other states to, cause like in Indiana, it's one of those things. If you show your Indiana to a state police or uh, municipal cop, you say, "Hey, look," and that's kind of less of a uh, really suspicion because of constitutional carry. You don't. Does it make sense having a uh, one of those from like Florida or Utah? Does it make sense to have one? Well, I mean, I, I I got a Utah license just because at the time it was recognized in something like seven or eight more states than Indiana's was, um, so that can help. But um, but nah, I mean, they they understand. They should understand. I can't I can't tell you what every local cop's gonna gonna say or do, uh, but they should understand that their state recognizes or doesn't other states' licenses, and now that's not ever been an issue for me when I've traveled. I love having all the ladies call in today. Love this. Jennifer is up next. Awesome. Jennifer, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show. We got Guy Relford here. All right. Hi, Guy. Hi. Uh, I think I've actually called a few times before, but uh, I have a quick question. Sure. So, if you live in a house where, like, say, a rooms are rented out, and one person is a felon, but the rest of the people are have like no record, can you own a gun, or does the felon get in trouble? Well, the if the felon has access to uh, a gun that's in the house, um, then uh, they potentially can go to jail because there's there's construction there's there's possession and there's what's called constructive possession, and that includes both the intent and the capacity to to uh, control the possession or control the the uh, a firearm within uh, the house, and so let's say that person's home alone in a house and there's a gun sitting on a nightstand somewhere that that person has access to um, and for whatever reason police come to that house, that person could go to jail for possession of a firearm by a felon uh, under what's called constructive possession. So um, that nobody else is at risk if they're not a prohibited possessor, but the person who's the felon uh, is at some risk if he has access to it. So what I've told people to do or recommended that people should do is, for instance, um, if you're one of the people that can have a gun, get a safe that, for instance, only opens with your fingerprints. And uh, don't program the felon's fingerprints into it. That and you can you... buy those on Amazon oh, or a yeah. number of places. They're have, easy to find. Yeah, absolutely. I have a couple of them. And that way that you can establish that person never had access to the gun, um, which would prevent them from getting in trouble. Brad is up next. Brad, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Go ahead. Guy Relford's here. Hey, guys. This kind of spins off the last question. Um so I've got a 25-year-old felony. It's a battery with serious bodily injury. Um, you always hear the stories about if you're a felon, you can have like black powder guns, long guns, bows and arrows. What's Indiana's law on that? And also, would an expungement of that felony grant gun, by, gun rights back to me? 
Yeah, I'll answer the second question first. First of all, an expungement would restore your rights, but just one thing for you to know, um, for a, a, a felony involving serious bodily injury, first of all, you have to wait 10 years before you can expunge it, but it sounds like you're well past that. But the other is, you have to get prior written consent from the prosecutor's office in the county where the conviction occurred in order to expunge that because it involves serious bodily injury. If the prosecutor will agree to it, and I've had those happen where they have because, you know, they were extenuating circumstances, the person completely changed their life around, um, then you can potentially still get it expunged. Um, and you know what? I'm sorry. I only I know I only answered half your question, but let's stop it there because we got, I think, other people wait. Rodney is up next. Rodney, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I just got a quick opinion question. My NRA membership expired at the end of January. And with everything going on, I was kind of hesitant. But do you think that with the changes that have gone on, would would it be okay to go ahead and re-up? Well, let me tell you, I mean, I'm a, a benefactor-level life member, which is about three levels above life member of the NRA. And I think we need a strong, well-funded, efficient, effective NRA at the national level. I think it's critical because of all the groups out there fighting to strip us of our rights. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't oppose the NRA in any way. Um, but in my mind, what I've said for a while is that I'm not going to send him any more money until I see Wayne LaPierre gone. And it uh, looks like there are some things in the works, uh, obviously, to make that happen. Uh, at that point, I, I'd be confident enough to where I would still send my money to him. Lee is up next. Lee, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hi. I'm just wondering where things stand on pistol braces right now. <laughs> Great question. Um, and we've talked about that here on Hammer Nigel before. But uh, for people who don't know, that's you know, it's just an accessory that we can put on a pistol um, that for years the ATF said was legal. Now they've said, oh, no, that converts it to a short-barreled rifle. And if you haven't registered that, you're looking at 10 years in federal prison. Um, it's being disputed. There was one judge in the Northern District of Texas um, that found that to be unconstitutional and issued an injunction. So my understanding is that ATF is not enforcing that regulation as we speak, um, but that's dependent on their whim of the day in terms of whether they're enforcing it or not, which I don't trust. So I still personally wouldn't have a pistol brace on my pistol without having it registered as an SPR. Um, but a lot of people are out there saying, hey, no problem, uh, because uh, this judge issued an injunction. All right, we got two callers left here. I think we can get them both if everybody goes quickly. Ethan, rock and roll. Go ahead. Ethan, are you there? Oh, yeah. Okay, real quick. I'm wanting to start a home-based FFL out of an outbuilding I have. And I just wanted to know, is there any state or federal regulations on how many or how many firearms or accessories I have to sell or, or stock? No, there, there are no numbers associated with being an FFL. Um, you, people have FFLs that sell uh, only a handful of guns a year, and there are some that, that sell a lot. So, no, the, the answer to your question is no, but I appreciate you calling. E-Buzz, you get the last question here. Go ahead. We got Guy Relford. Hey, I grew up just south of Eaton. That's my people, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Guy I pray that you've got another 25 years in, but who is going to take your place? 
Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, and I appreciate the comment, uh, the sentiment of the comment. Uh, we need to work on that. Um, and, and look, there are a lot Jefferson of... Shreve. Yeah, Jefferson Shreve. Jefferson Shreve's going to be the new gun yeah, guy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well, Joe, Joe Hogsett's about to be out of a job, so <laughs> hey. Um, but, um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I can, I can identify that. And I'm getting pretty old, so we need to talk about successorship in terms of who's going to run the two-way project and that kind of thing. I'm not going anywhere any time soon. Sounds like a reality show needs to happen, like a succession type of reality yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, but we need to, we need to focus on that because hey, I'm I'm getting a little older and uh, and my wife may talk me into going and just sipping margaritas on a beach somewhere. Well, I tell you what, guy, you're still young enough to have a few beers, right? You betcha. Beer sample Friday next. It's beer sample Friday. Right now. Cameron and Nigel present. Oh, oh, oh. I got some beers. Let's drink them, huh? Beers on sale, people. Come down, get you some. And as always, we are presented by Thompson Furniture and Mattress in Columbus. ThompsonFurniture.net. Support these guys. They take care of us. Guy, what do you have in your hand there? I have here from Hoppin' Frog Brewery a smashing honey blonde is what this is with just a hint of honey it says on the label and I, I, I'm assuming I'm going to love this Jason because specifically I'm going home to a smashing honey blonde. Oh, I see what you uh, did there. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm assuming this is going to be fabulous. I like a honey blonde. This was the silver award winner at the World Beer Cup in 2023. Oh, hell yeah. Now, before we crack these open, there's a reason for us to drink tonight. Friday is enough of a reason, but oh, there's another yeah. reason, and I think you'll appreciate this. Today would have been the 110th birthday of Harry Carey. Oh, wow. Iconic Cubs legend. So, to celebrate, we're going to play you his final Take Me Out to the Ball Game at Wrigley Field. This was 9-21-97. He would die in February of the next year in the offseason. Wow. So this is the final Take Me Out to the Ball Game by Harry Carey. This is the last time this year. So let me hear you. Good and loud. All right, Gary. All one. All two. All three. Oh, here we go. Beer Sample Friday, guy. Cheers. Cheers, man, and cheers to Harry. The final time in the amazing career of Harry. This is really good, too. It is. It's, it's sweet, but if you like a sweeter beer... All right, here we go. Let's do it. It's good. One, One two, two, three strikes, you're out. <laughs> Happy 110th birthday to Harry Carey. The weekend... It's underway here in Central Indy. And coming up here a little bit after 6 o'clock, top stories of the day. Guy Relford's in for Big Nige. Beer Sample Friday. Weekend's underway. Come on back. Like a neon dream, it just don't know.